Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. In this episode, I speak to Peter Hafez of Ravenpack. Dating back to the early 2000s, Ravenpack is one of the granddaddies of alternative data. Since it was using natural language processing techniques to extract meaning from textual data long before it became fashionable. Peter's position of chief data scientist allowed us to get a little bit more technical in our discussion of Ravenpack's offering, at least compared to previous episodes. I began by asking Peter how Ravenpack came to be based in the idyllic seaside resort of Marbella in Spain. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a little bit of an interesting location for a, a fintech company. Um, but there are actually quite a few fintech companies on the coast today. But back in the days, I would say we were probably one of the, the few ones here. Um, early on, we started out more as a, a consulting company and R&D shop. And of course, we were a lot smaller back then than we are today. Um, and uh, one of the original founders um, had a, a, a summer house down here, and they sort of had this idea that hey, we are we are consultants; we can sit anywhere we want to uh, in the world. So uh, why why not in Marbella? And um, uh, that sort of uh, I mean, we started out here, and then over time we started hiring uh, more and more people, and of course they build up a life here. They find uh, husbands uh, and wives have kids and so on so we're sort of stuck here now and it's as we we jokingly say sometimes it's not a bad place to be stuck it's absolutely not I'm, i mean I'm, i mean i'm intrigued by it. and potentially you know as remote working becomes you know as everyone is saying remote working becomes more of a, a day-to-day thing then maybe everyone's going to start moving to idyllic locations and, and maybe maybe you maybe you're just early in this um but no great place to be um but so, Peter, and you've been you've been there for a long time. You're the first um, chief data scientist that I've spoken to. Um, so, uh, but let's let's try not to get too technical in our call because I'll be out of my debt for one thing. Um, why don't we talk about where Ravenpack came from and then how you how you kind of came into the picture? Yeah. So, um, Ravenpack are uh, experts in natural language processing. Um, so we focus on converting unstructured content, primarily uh, textual content, into a set of structured analytics. And uh, those analytics uh, we sell into the uh, financial uh, community uh, today. However, originally or initially, the focus was really just to see what information could you extract from, from, uh, from textual content and make it actionable in some sense. And... Only later on, it was decided that uh, finance would be uh, an interesting uh, area to focus on. So what year are we in when you say initially? So Ravenpack uh, was founded back in 2003. So we have been around for quite some time, more than 17 years. Um, but as I mentioned, we, we started out as a consulting company and, and more of an R&D shop. And we launched uh, the first products for finance in 2007. Okay. 
2007 still makes you the granddaddy of alternative data. Um, it's still it's still kind of way before. I feel like 2012, there was quite a lot going on around kind of textual anal analysis around Twitter and things like that. But you're definitely the first that I've come across all the way all the way back in the kind of, you know, early to mid 2000s. So um, so that's, you know, fascinating. Um, and and so you joined in, in 2008. Um, how did you how did you get involved? Yeah, so what was interesting at the time, you know, um, people at, at Ravenpack, uh, they were experts in natural language processing, uh, but not necessarily, you know, about experts in the quant process. And at the time, I mean, this was very novel to come out with a, a news analytics data set back in 2007. So most of the clients that would pick up on this were the more sophisticated quantitative hedge funds. And uh, what the management uh, at Ravenpack realized at the time was that, you know, they didn't really know how to speak the language necessarily. Um, so they needed some help. They needed to understand how clients were using it. And I mean, when you speak to, the, when you spoke to the quantitative hedge funds, they were extremely secretive. So in order to get the feedback necessary to create the best product possible, a decision was made to bring someone in. Who, who spoke the language. And uh, by chance, um, we had some uh, mutual uh, connections. Uh, Armando Gonzalez, who is the founder and CEO of uh, Ravenpack, um, we had some mutual uh, relations and I was uh, recommended uh, to, um, to, to the company uh, and we sort of started uh, at, at working together at that stage. So. You can look at it as, as I was sort of the first one uh, with a quant or financial background that, that joined the company. Okay, so you were you were definitely coming from the hedge fund perspective. So you were kind of bringing an insight into the, into the clients. So what? So at that time, um, because there weren't many companies doing what Ravenpack was doing, what were what were the quantitative hedge funds doing to get hold of this kind of data? Or did you introduce the idea to the to the hedge funds? What was very interesting, and you know, also to me at the time, was how uh, this relatively small company uh, could engage with the big players in the industry. There was no doubt that there was a sense of novelty to what we're doing and, and therefore it wasn't really that hard to get uh, conversations going people were interested in in hearing what we had to say and we could also see that there was at least the feeling of of, of the market needing some education on how to take advantage of this data that said of course some funds had been tapping into natural language processing themselves at the time but there was it was still so early on that uh, people uh, wanted to 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 see uh, and listen and uh, to 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 what we had uh, to to offer. So some some funds were they probably weren't called data scientists back then. I don't know, but um, some funds were kind of hiring data people to start doing that kind of crunching um, and and do 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 it in house. Um, so and then you were kind of so you were introducing it to ones who hadn't who hadn't brought someone on board. Yeah, I mean, it. They would also. Uh, you know, a lot of funds would try and do it themselves and were also already doing it. So not just trying, but also actually having something in production. It didn't really exclude us from also selling into them uh, mm. because there's value in seeing, you know, having different perspectives, right? It, it was an evolving field and it still is. And there are different ways of attacking the problem. I like to say that, I mean, there is not a super sentiment score out there. 
there are different sentiment dimensions, right? Different proxies. Mm -hmm. And depending on the methodology you use, you, you can get slightly different performance out of it. And there is an advantage of having different point of view when you try to approach a problem also from an algorithmic perspective. So while some funds uh, had invested heavily in the area, they may not have solved all problems and could see the value that Ravenpeck was bringing. And plus, we may have come from it from a different perspective that added enough value to them. And standing way where we are in, in sitting where we are in, in 2021, um, looking back and looking back at the technology you had and the processes you were using, is it like, are you light years ahead now or is it pretty similar? I mean, is it, has the technology changed that much or is it, or is, or are things, you know, haven't moved on that much? I mean, there's definitely been quite, you know, aggressive technology advancement, advancements over the years in, in NLP. I mean, uh, it's much more uh, machine learning driven today than it was uh, previously. However, the the it's 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 both you know partly art, partly science to to be in this space, um, because part of the art is understanding uh, what are the techniques that uh, you should be applying in order to solve various problems. Some not all problems are best solved with uh, machine learning, uh, not even today. And, and clearly not not back in the days. Um, there's there are rules based systems people utilize and utilized back in the days, um, and 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 still do uh, as I mentioned. Uh, and but I would say machine learning is starting to so play. Just, just just quickly, rules based is for is um, kind of if then kind of you know if something happens then do that. You know it's you have to program every single eventuality so it's exhaustive um whereas machine learning is there's a certain amount of it, it learning for itself and and it developing its own models yeah it's not necessarily developing its uh, its its own models per se of course there's still a structure to to the model framework that you have but um it's it's probably more let's call it a rule is is more direct either you you comply with the rule or you don't, where machine learning gives you that extra flexibility of saying you can be close enough to, to let's say, if you put in a sentence and you say, this is what I'm looking for, then you might look at different distance measures and say, ah, you look close enough, uh, and therefore I can sort of tag you. And uh, the thing, you know, of course, you could also build system that, that sort of learns over time and adjusts based on errors that it's making and, and having sort of a feedback uh, feedback into the system um, uh, but um, uh, rule is, is, is as you correctly point out it's more finite here's a sentence structure do you match it then you get tagged in a certain way if you don't match it you don't get a tag yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay um, and so and that's the that's kind of the history of, of artificial intelligence a little bit like in the in the kind of 70s and 80s it was all about rules and so the the machine learning has been the kind of explosion of 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 uh, allowing a bit more freedom in a way within the model um, um and so you were so you were a bit more rules based potentially at the beginning but you've but machine learning's um improved oh, and so what what were you um crunching so what was your input data and what was your output so we we did a partnership very early on with uh, dow jones so we took in um real-time news feeds uh, from uh, from what we would consider premium sources where dow jones was uh, was the the first one uh, and back then we actually launched uh, the first product uh, which was called Dow Jones News Analytics. It was actually Ravenpack behind it. Uh, later on we claimed it back and, and rebranded it to Ravenpack 
uh, news analytics uh, Dow Jones edition. Um, but the, early on, it was primarily news, primarily news, uh, sort of these uh, premium newswire services. And since we have expanded into, you know, more premium news uh, content, uh, the Fly, Benzinga, and so on, we take in press release wires. And also today we do a lot of, uh, consider a lot of web scraped content as well. And uh, what do you try to extract from that? So what we try to extract um, is a set of, of um, analytics. So we have uh, five, let's say, five key attributes that we focus on. One is uh, what is called entities. An entity can be, uh, at least for us, uh, a, a company, a person, a product, a place, an organization, a currency, a commodity, plus some other, uh, some other entities as well, like teams and so on. We also look for or score for relevance. How prominent is this particular entity that we detect within the article? Is it mentioned in the headline? Is it mentioned deep in the story body? What's the frequency of mentions? Uh, how many other entities we've mentioned in the same article? And that gives you a, a sense of you know how prominent or how, how much is the news about this particular entity, entity that you're interested in. Yeah. Um, so, so for, ex so for example, you've got an article about um, Donald Trump uh, leaving uh, the White House, and so an entity might be presidency, the United States, Donald Trump, and so uh, those are the. And then you, then you probably you might be able to build some kind of word chart where the largest word would be Trump because that's the most most mentioned, and you're you're identifying what the key um, key aspects that this article is about. Is that would that be a fair? Yeah, it's 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 very much like that. I mean, we we do have a a, a fixed set of entities that we track. Uh, currently, we track about three hundred thousand entities in a point in time sensitive fashion, so we know who was the president at what time and so on, and in what capacity they speak in the news. Right. Mm. So Obama today wouldn't be speaking as as the president, but if we look at content from. So, uh, you know, uh, some years ago, he, he might have been in a, in, a, in a role of speaking as a president or, and before that, perhaps as a senator. So we have these, these start and end dates. But what we do is that we have each of these named entities in our database and you will get uh, identifiers that, that sort of says this is the person. And then you can see this whole structure that, for instance, Trump uh, would be linked to the, to the uh, you know, would be the president of the United States and the president will be linked to to uh, to the U.S. Uh, government and and so on and so on. I used I used Trump just because it came to the top of my head, yep. not because I thought it was going to be relevant. You'd say you like your system would recognize that if Obama was speaking, he was kind of ex-president Obama, whatever, and so that suggests that the fact that he's ex-president is important for you. Why? Like, why would your why would your model care about what who's president? Uh, because I mean, they would potentially be influential and can drive uh, asset prices, right? So our clients are interested in news or events that can drive asset prices. So not only are we focusing on uh, the people speaking, and but also what they're talking about. And, and there are definitely people that are highly influential uh, people that can, that can impact. And of course, the US president, if you speak on behalf of the US presidency, uh, you have more power um, than if you are a CEO of a small cap company, for instance, or even if you're an ex-president. I, I think Trump, you know, in a year from now, or potentially even today, uh, will not have the same power as he had uh, last week. 
I hope not. Well, that's that's just me. <laughs> um, it sounds like when that person speaks, then you're attaching a value to them. You're you're kind of saying, you know, a bummer is good for stocks or bad for stocks. Who is attaching that value? Is it you or is it your client? Are you just giving your client the ability to search for, you know, every time Obama spoke? So I can see that making more sense in a, um, perhaps if we were talking about Federal Reserve uh, governors, you know, and if one was more hawkish or one was more dovish, then the fact that he has spoken um, and he's a dove it is likely to be good for stocks, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, as I mentioned, the first thing we look for are entities because everything has to have a point of view, right? Uh, and then we try to understand why those entities uh, happened in, 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 or appeared in the news. So we would look for events. And that also leads on to whether things are good or bad. But it has to be seen in context of, of, of the event and the, and the entity, right? Mm. So, uh, but we do provide sentiment scores um, uh, for the uh, for the article overall, whether there's generally positive or negative language, but we also look at it as I mentioned in the context of the event that actually happens. So, um, are we? T is it related to an you know earnings event, or is it talking about stock prices going up yesterday, or is it about you know an election? Uh, there may be civil unrest, there may be protests, and all of these sort of things. Uh, we will provide sentiment scores, but our clients uh, can can use whatever analytics within our data feed that they're interested in. Some people would use, be using pure sentiment scores. Some people will be using pure event uh, detection uh, data or events that are being detected, and others will be, use a combination of the two. What kind of events? Um, what kind of events? I mean, we, we, we cover, we have about, or we track about 6,800 different types of events that may appear in the news and that we consider potentially market moving. And they fit into a, a broader taxonomy. So we capture anything that is related to business related news that could be, you know, as I mentioned before, it could be earnings, it could be layoffs, it could be, you know, a product release, a product recall. It could be uh, around, you know, corruption charges, or, or, um, or it could also be um, marketing campaigns that are, are being launched. Um, we also track economic news. That's where you go into interest rates, interest rate guidance, GDP, GDP guidance, and consumer sentiment, and so on. We track political uh, uh, news as well, elections, and so on. We do societal. Uh, news that could be around uh, civil unrest, uh, war and conflict, and so on. And then we also do environmental news, which is more on the side of natural disasters and so on. Are you tracking all the events in the world, or do you have a watch list based on what your clients are interested in? We, we have a, a watch list uh, in the sense that we look for certain things and things that are more constant in time. Uh, in the sense that there will always be layoffs, there will always be earnings announcements, there will always be protests and so on. So it sort of gives you a framework in which you can operate under. And that what's neat about that um, is that for a quant, at least, um, you have a, a constant that you can rely on when you do a backtest. Um, as opposed to things that sort of pop up if you, I mean, we get a lot of questions around dictionaries, you know, how do you make sure that you are not adding some look ahead bias in how you deal with dictionaries and so on. And because we are a little, we are more generic in the way that we look for the constant. Can you def define dictionaries quickly in an, in an NLP sense? 
Yeah, so a dictionary would be a set of words, basically, a set of keywords to some extent that you are looking for. And and when you're scoring, uh, that's one way of, of picking up uh, events that you can say, ah, I encode into my system that whenever Brexit is mentioned, uh, I want to be able to pick it up. The challenge for, at least from a quant perspective, is this point in time sensitivity and, and not having a look ahead bias in how you create those dictionaries. So for instance, would you ha- when would you have known that Brexit was a thing? When would you have known that, let's say, work from home was a thing? When did you start to look for it? And that uh, you have to be a little careful with, uh, with these sort of things. Yeah. I mean, the thing about Brexit is a good example, because the thing about Brexit is that it was, you know, people have been talking about, some people, a fringe, had been talking about leaving Europe since, you know, pretty much since since Britain joined Europe. Um, but it only became Brexit after the whole Grexit thing. And it was a joke, Brexit, the word. So if you search for Brexit, thinking we're going to find the history of British separatism in Europe, all you're going to get is, you know, whatever it was, 2014 onwards um, of, of Brexit being a thing. So your choice of words, to kind of illustrate your point, your choice of words is very important. Searching for Brexit isn't enough. You need to find other words if you're going to track the, the kind of long term of this. Yeah, and, and, and exactly. And But the challenge is also that if I look historically, I might start to say, I want to see when was the first time Brexit was ever mentioned. And then you mm. might find it, and then it becomes a, a, a thing in your backtest, and it starts influencing your backtest to see if there was value in knowing that. And of course, there's a lot of things that are valuable to know from the very beginning, but it wasn't realistic if you were to play that in real time. Would you have known it or picked it up and seen it was a thing already the very, very first time it ever got mentioned? Probably mm. not. So, so a quant thinks about these sort of things and saying, when would you actually really have picked it up? So you need to create a methodology that sort of can pick things up and, tr- and, and a methodology in which you trust that you can pick up future events as well. I mean, that, it's a completely th- different thing. It's, it's sort of, I would put that in under what you would consider trending topics. We have, um, uh, as a company, focused more on these sort of more static uh, taxonomies of events, things that happen again and again and again. It doesn't mean that, of course, there's also value in trends and topics, but it's a different way of approaching the problem uh, and, and, and something that is, 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 is more challenging to gain the trust of a quant. You, def- you definitely have to explain the methodology very, very deeply. This is, I think, linked to what I was going to say, which is that our examples so far have been quite big picture and have been quite, you know, political and uh, shaping of the entire market rather than perhaps how a specific retail chain is doing um would that are we talking like that because that is your strength or have i let us down that route are you uh, like would a client task you on you know what's going to happen with this specific oil company and you would be able to help on that more specific level as well yeah i mean we definitely uh, also track at the individual company level i mean but there are, are insights that you can't glean from news you have to use other alternative data sources whether that mm. be in credit card data or something like that. It's not the same type of information that you will be able to extract. We are really looking at all of the events that are being you know, announced you know, by the companies themselves, like M&A activity and product releases and all of these sort of things. Uh, and, and also when there is 
you know, they talk about their earnings results or, or, or someone else is doing it. Analysts, analysts are reacting to the information available. So you can say it's almost like, in some sense, catalysts that, that might appear in, in the news out of the blue, both, you know, most of it unscheduled. We also do cover scheduled information, but it's not a matter. It's not as much about now casting of, let's say, revenues or something like that that you might be able to glean out of uh, a um, a, um, a credit card data set or something like that. So, um, so, so it, it's it's a different it's a different it's a different mm. beast. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and has your client profile changed since the early days when you were trying to get? when they brought you on to try and understand quants better, um, are you still kind of quant um, leaning or, or has it, has the profile, has, have, have you got new types of clients? What, what's going on? There's, there's definitely been many different waves of client types uh, over the years. I would say we, we, we definitely still are very much catering to, to, to quants, uh, but also to a much greater extent, uh, more discretionary uses. But even within the quant space, there are also different types. Um, so you have uh, perhaps uh, early on the, the first uh, sort of companies uh, of, uh, or investors that were jumping into this were more of what you would consider start-art shops. Um, they, were, uh, they were focusing on shorter horizons, perhaps looking at anything from, you know, uh, intraday or daily up to a couple of weeks, which is sort of the sweet spot for for, for that uh, those that type of of, of trading, um, and then you have the more of the what what I would today call the traditional quant, which is more like the multi-factor uh, uh, driven investors um, uh, they, that they build these uh, quant models around you know momentum, value, quality, so more factor based. Uh, investing and and that sort of it kicked in a little later there i would say um the first couple of years was very much uh, around uh, more of the 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 start arp and and, I, and and of course always some of the more sophisticated uh, or early adopters uh, in the uh, multi-factor space um and then i would say i mean you see this wave of, 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 you know, needing to educate a certain segment of the market, then it goes into inspiration. And then after a while, they'll be miles ahead of, of, of where you are uh, from an application perspective. Um, and then, uh, you, you know, you'll see uh, in the last few years, it's been more about educating the uh, fundamental uh, investor space on how to take advantage of the uh, information. And even also across asset classes, everything started out in equities. It's then gone into macro. Uh, and you're seeing, you know, credit uh, also playing a big part. And now ESG is becoming the big thing. It sounds like with you educating them, um, it sounds like, uh, yeah, so it sounds like it's all coming from you. Do you, do you ever get, um, how often does it come the other way? Client, potential clients come to you asking if you can do this and then you go, oh, maybe I can do that. Is it, does that happen as well? Now it sounds like, I mean, we are educating the market. It's, it's obviously smaller bits and pieces on how to take advantage of, of, of this type of data. We try to sort of, I, I believe we've moved beyond the educational part and now it's more about inspiration. But clearly, I mean, the market is also educating us. It's, it's a two-way thing. Mm -hmm. And that was really one of the reasons for uh, why I was brought on board uh, back in 2008, because we needed to educate the market, but we also very much needed to be educated. But in order to be educated, you 
need to speak the language first. So I can't mm. learn, um, uh, you know, if you speak in a foreign language to me, you know, I need to learn the language before I can, I can understand what it is that you're trying to teach me. So yeah. we, we, we definitely were educated uh, as well through the process. And, and I think that is one of the advantages of really being early in this space that the, if you can give something to the market, the market is, is willing to give something back as well. So because we could educate or, or you know, the market on, on, on news analytics and, and so on, the, the market was willing to educate us because they wanted to have the best product available to them. And there weren't that many alternatives at the time. Today, there are a lot more providers in the marketplace for this type of data. And if you are new to that space, I mean, a company, you know, quant researchers or, or investors are, are busy. So if they have an alternative that delivers what they need, they are less likely to want to invest in educating a new vendor popping up that needs to learn what to deliver, right? So sure. I think that was a big advantage to us early days that we were one of the few uh, companies actually offering this so so we could really learn and engage in conversations with clients and and we we took the route of doing that through uh, through research i mean it's become you've watched the space become so crowded particularly in the last kind of four years compared to what it was like when you guys when you guys first started off um in a way it's you know it, it's been it, it must have become incredibly more competitive for you um what do you see as as your edge which is kind of keeping the competitors at bay is it is it your age um is it your experience what's the what's the what's the key yeah i mean i to be honest i don't really feel it's become more competitive in the narrow sense i feel that it was more competitive earlier days because we were in a in a situation where we had to build a brand and we were up against some big brand names. I mean, back in the days, we were primarily up against uh, Thomson Reuters or, or what's known as Refinitiv today, right? They, they mm. launched the product uh, some months after we did. Um, and uh, a few years later, Bloomberg also entered the market. Um, so, so I will say early days, I mean, there were relatively fierce competition between us and, and Thomson Reuters. They came with a brand and we, we didn't have it at the time. Uh, but over the years, we have built up that brand and that has made it easier. And I will say that there are not as many companies um, that, uh, that, that really deliver uh, you know, news analytics or, or textual analytics um, at, at large scale. Um, it's, it's a relatively narrow uh, space. Um, mm. Let's say a handful of, I wouldn't call it, I mean, serious players or, or prominent players or whatever you would call it. Um, but where the, the competition has, uh, has, has sort of become more fierce is more in the competition of uh, mind share uh, in the sense that today we have to compete with a lot of other alternative data sets because we are selling into the same market and it takes time to evaluate uh, a data set and whether you want to, to, to buy it or not or onboard it, whether mm -hmm. that's value to you. And researchers can only do one or just a few at a time. So it's more about making your data set more interesting than any other alternative data set out there. Okay. And you've got 
plenty of experience in doing that. So, um, so that's an ongoing, an ongoing challenge for you. Um, Peter, uh, that's great. I think that's really useful, really interesting. A great, uh, great introduction to Ravenpack, which, as I say, is one of the one of the um, you know one of the godfathers of, of the sector. Um, so, thank you very much for your time today and for for coming on, and um, and wish you wish you the best of luck. Well, thank you very much, Mark, for for having me. It was definitely a a, a real ple- pleasure. In a final piece of bonus material, Peter explains the difference between rules based and machine learning systems. If you look at a rules-based system, it's all about coming up with the rules, perhaps in a human curated sense, that you encode uh, all of these patterns into your system. And then you will look for whenever those patterns appear in, let's say, the textual documents that you're analyzing, where a machine learning-based system is, is, is quite similar. It's also about identifying rules, but you are trying to identify the rules based on uh, training data uh, that you have available. So it's a much more systematic uh, approach to uh, to approaching the problem, or at least the learning of it. You don't have to encode the, the rules beforehand. There are clear advantages and disadvantages between the two. Uh, one of the advantages of a rules-based system is that you can achieve very, very high precision rates. And that means that if there is, if you say something is a layoff, it is with high probability uh, a layoff um, where, uh, where you might suffer sometimes uh, with a rules-based system is in what we call recall. That is, there are really 10 layoffs out there, but you may only pick up on six or seven or eight of them based on the hard-coded rule that you have. A machine learning algorithm may suffer from a precision issue most often. Uh, or it's hard at least to achieve the same precision rate. But where uh, you machine learning approaches has a clear advantage is on recall. So you're more likely to pick up, uh, you know, cover more of the real layoffs that took place in the market because of the more flexibility that it brings. But there's always this trade-off between precision and recall.